Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Bill's lesson today is in Luke chapter 16, titled, Reluctant Witness from Hell, Part 1. Hello, hello. Very good morning to all of you. Welcome. How many of you here for the very first time never been to Island Baptist Church? Ever not sure if you're coming back? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you kind of have to give it a shot, right? Who knows? I hope it goes well for your sake. Uh, for all of our sakes, may God be glorified. We're working our way through the book of Luke. Since you've not been here before, you wouldn't know that. Luke chapter 16 is where we're finding ourselves now. Uh, in a bit of a respite as hard-charging messages from Jesus through the book of Luke up until chapter 15. And then uh, we are now um, in chapter 16. I think I said it wrong, but chapter 16 now. But kind of a respite uh, Luke takes and inserts in the narrative uh, these stories that Jesus told, we know them as parables, and they are stories uh, concocted by Jesus because he can concoct stories if he wants to in, in order to teach lessons. In most cases, parables are not based on real life. They're, not based, they're based on real life, real life things, but in, in many cases, because of the way Jesus told stories, it's not this, the story has a twist to it that would have never worked out that way in real life as, as we saw the prodigal son. That would have never happened in that culture. Sons didn't prodigalize. They didn't do it. It was way too much pressure. Uh, prodigal sons and daughters in our culture, oh yeah, that's every other one, it seems. In that culture, it did not happen. Never would a son have ever dreamed to go to his dad and say, you're not dying quick enough, I need my part of the inheritance. That didn't happen in that culture. Never would that happen. If it ever happened, never would the father agree to the whole terms of the thing. Okay, let me liquidate a third of my stuff and give it to you. That didn't happen. And then if it ever, if those two nevers ever came to be, which they never would, then never ever under any circumstances would that son ever be allowed back. But all those things take place. Again, what is Jesus telling us? He's taking us to a place where for that culture they had never been before in order to make a point. Heaven's not like you think. That's the point. Uh, eternity's not like you think. Uh, it's going to be a shocker for many. And uh, this story today uh, that Jesus tells. This parable is also brings up one more shocking thing. It's about a guy who wakes up in hell and never thought he would be there. And so just as that is an introduction to tell you it's not going to be a fun sermon, guys. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, not all the Bible's fun. I don't know if you know that or not. A lot of it's confrontation. A lot of it clobbers you over the top of the head. A lot of it makes you squirm. A lot of it makes you wish you were doing something else. And that's the way it is. You and I are sinners in need of correction. And when correction comes into our lives, well, we bow up. Well, uh, bow up, okay, but do what he says, whether you like it or not, that is critical. Luke chapter 16, we're going to be in verses 19 through 31, another one of these unique stories, unique parables to Luke. Uh, a very important parable, like I said, a man who wakes up in hell, uh, shocked by the whole thing. Very important parable because most people in our Western culture think they're going to heaven. So it wouldn't matter what size of crowd I'm sitting with, I, I could ask a raise of hands, and how many people plan to go to heaven? Very few would ever say, I'm not planning to go. How many of you plan to go to hell? You would get no hands. So one of the things I like to say as a pastor, pretty regular, because it's, it's something we need to consider, what's your plan? You plan to go. Can, can we agree, or, or can you understand with me that if your plan to go to heaven disagrees with God's plan, that you're not going? No matter how, here's the trump card we like to throw out, the sincerity card. No matter how sincere you are, 
So you're a criminal here in Cameron County, found guilty of some crime, and in a quarter of your peers, they send you to prison, and you say, I think they should let me out because I'm sincerely sorry for what I did. You're not getting out for that reason. It's a nice thought. But the, as, as, as much as we would criticize our legal system, you know, that's not going to happen in this legal system. So what do you think? The heaven is less legal than Cameron County? No, it's not. Sincerity will not get you through. You can be, many are, sincerely wrong. So, so sincerity is not a trump card we're able to play. Uh, we live in a culture where 90% of Americans can believe in God. So guess how many, what percentage of that believe they're going to heaven? The same percentage. Are they? No, they're not. Just because you think you're going doesn't make you're going to go. We're going to see several things that confront that idea and those, those commonly held beliefs Again, sincerity, believing that you're going to go there. Uh, hell, listen, is going to be populated, Jesus teaches this regularly, populated by religious people, mainly religious people. How do we know that? Because most of the world's religious. 98% of the world's religious. We, all, we think of the atheists and the, you know, the agnostics, of course, they're going to be busting hell wide open. But it's, the majority of the world is neither one of those things. The majority of the world are religious people. Jesus is preaching to religious people. Religious people steeped in religion kill him, reject him. The majority of the culture was religious. Jesus dies and he only has 11 people following him. Of the whole culture, he's committed all these miracles in front of them, preached all these messages in front of them. What's happened to these people? Well, they didn't listen to him. Those people who do not, if, hear me, if you do not listen to Jesus, can, can we agree that you're going to hell? Because you are. The only one who's been in eternity came into time and going back into eternity is telling you stuff. And if you don't listen to what he says, what's eternity going to be like for you? Not like you think. I would submit that to you for sure. So we have a guy here in this story who eternity turns out to be not like he thinks. Hell is going to be full of religious people shocked to be found there here's jesus's own statements not just religion we're not just talking about okay muslims and hindus and i don't know the uh, uh non-believing jews and all that no this are not this is not what jesus says he he points out the particular religion and, and that religion is christianity or i should say those who call themselves christians so you call yourself a christian you expect to go to heaven what's your plan do you call him lord you think for that reason that you're going you're not how do I know that? Because, again, we have Jesus' word on it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Were you thinking that? Is that not what gets you in? It does not. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say, underline that word, many. Not a few, not some, not the average or below average, but many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That's a very religious thing, isn't it? Notice, notice, prophesy, not just in any name, not in Mohammed or, you know, Hare Krishna or something like that, in Jesus' name. So they're Christians in name only. Or did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will say to them, I never do you. Depart from me who practice lawlessness. Many, he says, will be that way. Hell's going to be populated with religious people. Hell, populated that way. This is a story, this parable, of a religious person 
who was shocked to find himself in hell. What is hell like? I want to give you an illustration, or I want to help you. Or maybe you don't want to be helped in this, but I'm going to help you see it anyway. Nonetheless, take every bad thing that's ever happened to you. Just take a moment. Remember how bad you felt in the midst of it, the worst of it. How much the pain was, how much the rejection was, how much the disappointment, the failure, the hatred, the bitterness, the anxiety, all those things, including all the hopelessness of it. It'll never end, but it did. I'll never get better, but you did. Right? Okay. But let's remember where you were. Go back to that place. And instead of hoping for tomorrow, make your condition a permanent one. Not changing. Not a brighter tomorrow. Not one coming ever. This isn't going to end. Things will never get better. You will never feel better. And add to that the most profound torture, torment, sufferings, both mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And, and at the same time, there being no relief ever. That is hell. That is hell. Hell is a place of profound suffering compounded infinitely by the fact that you will never the circumstances will never, ever change. So we have the Son of God leaving eternity and coming to earth to become one of us permanently. Jesus died and resurrected as one of us. So in the heavens today is a Jewish man. How, how serious must God be to get through to us? He doesn't send the host of angels down. He sends his one and only Son to be permanently become one of us to communicate how serious the hereafter is. So that we will listen, all that so we'll listen to him. And so that he could die and pay for our sins and take our place because there was no other solution for us. How serious is eternity for God to have to do all that to get through to us? And for us to not listen to him? That is a terrible thing. It is a horrible thing. He's come down to, to get through to us, and boy, do we need to listen. So he tells us a parable of a man who found himself in hell. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 21. There was a certain rich man. He habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. This is the top 0.0001%. Most people in this day, they were no middle class, mostly were poor. So this guy is just like, whoo, way up there. And a certain poor man, much more common to find these, Named Lazarus, who was laid at his gate covered with sores. So he's not only poor, he's also disabled. Longing to be fed with the crumbs, which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. So he's sick, he's poor, he's totally dependent upon handouts. Verse 22, now it came about that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. That would have been a shocker to all those listening. We'll, we'll find out why in a minute. Abraham's bosom is considered the place of peace, the place of paradise, heaven, if you will. And, and the rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades he lifted up his eyes. Another big shocker. They would have never thought a rich man would have been there, nor a poor man would have gone to a place of paradise. Being in torment. He saw Abraham far away, Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this place. He doesn't get his request, by the way, because, again, what is hell? Hell is a place where there is no relief, not even a, not even a drop of water. You just take, take it for the eternal one. Take it from the eternal one. How, how, how terrible would it be to be mistaken about forever and ever? That is a horrible thing. 
See, Jesus knows that. So he's coming and confronting maybe your misconceptions and your ideas or preconceived ideas about what you think eternity is going to be and how you get there and how tolerant or intolerant God is. And he may be confronting and, make, and offending you. And you know what? You need to let him do it. He hits you between the eyes. Let it happen. Hurts really bad. It makes you upset. And you can't believe God's that way. Deal with it. Because it doesn't change the facts of where you're headed and the fact that God loves you and cares enough for you to see you going out into the highway and saying, stop, you'll get run over out there. And that's what he's doing. He's telling us this story because we're headed toward a big collision. In Hades, he lifted up his, his eyes in torment, asking that he come and dip a finger of water and to cool off his tongue, for I'm in agony in this slain, verse 25. For Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received good, your goods, good things, and likewise Lazarus, bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you're in agony. And besides all, all of this, between us and, and you there, and that is a great chasm fix in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said to us, Then I beg you, Father, that you send, my, send to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that I may warn them, lest they also come to the place of torment. Wow, he's not just become, he's become sober for the first time in his life. There's a lot more intoxicating things than chemicals. And one of those is riches. Another thing is prestige. Another thing is power, opportunities, and a whole bunch of people telling you're awesome here on earth. Very intoxicating. Mama telling him he was going to heaven, and then here he is in hell. What happened? He's very sober now. I have five brothers. And by the way, that's, by the way, that's what eternity is going to be. If anything, it's going to be a place of great sobriety. Heaven and hell are going to be similar in the sense of everybody's going to understand the truth by then. Better to wake up to the truth now, because there is, there is an inevitable waking, awakening, right? There's an inevitable sobriety coming for all of us. But, but better to get sober and to get sane now than to inevit the inevitability of it all. It's your choice. It really is. In, in this life, you have a choice. The next life, you won't have one. So here's this guy sobering up. He, not that he didn't have an option before this, but he didn't take it. Now he's got no options. And that, that warned them, lest they come to this place of torment. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let's, let them hear them. That's the Bible, the Old Testament. He said, no, my father, Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. No, they won't. No, I don't, not just my opinion. Notice verse 31. Moses or, or Abraham through Jesus says that same thing. If, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. And they weren't. And they weren't. So, so Jesus rises from the dead. And what did the Jews say? They couldn't prove it, couldn't disprove it. They had all the, all the soldiers there saying that it was angels that came and the stone flew off and this guy rose from the dead. And so what did they do? They just lied about it and they promote that lie to this day because it doesn't, miracles don't save anybody. If they do not hear what God has to say, they will not hear. They do not hear what God has said. They don't hear the, the biggest miracle is that God has come to us and communicated to us through his word what we are, what reality really is. And if we will not hear him, we won't hear anything else. Nothing gets through. But we're going to get to that next week. This week we need to deal with this whole issue of hell. And so let's consider what's happening to this man. This rich man, in the eyes of this culture, is automatically, is an automatic admin to heaven. You understand, what, the way they thought is your condition in this life is indicative of where you're headed. So if my brother Mike back there, worth millions of dollars, right, Mike, aren't you, Mike? I know you are. 
the locomotive driver. They pay them tons of money. They should. So he's worth millions of bucks. In that culture, they would automatically assume Mike doesn't need to go to church. He's going to heaven because he's got, he's got all the accolades. Heaven has already marked him. On the other hand, we got another person who has absolutely nothing like our buddy Lazarus in this story. Hell, in, their, in the way they thought, has already marked him for his destination. They had this kind of karma understanding of things. However your condition is in this life is the condition it's going to be in the next life. In fact, there may not be any relationship, right? It, it may be that you're hugely blessed in this life, as in the case of this story, and wind up in hell. And it may be that you're not blessed at all in this life and wind up in heaven. It has nothing to do with the conditions you have on this earth. Hear me on this. There may not be any relationship between what you're currently experiencing and how God feels about you. I'm going to say it again because that's a hard one to swallow because we, we tie the two together. Not, not to say that there is there not is there not good consequences for making good decisions? Of course there is. Is there not bad consequences for making bad decisions? Of course there is. But there are exceptions to both of those things. For instance, did Jesus not obey his father 100%? How did he die? So if you look at his life, what would you think in their culture? They would have said Jesus is a curse. In fact, that's exactly what it says in, in, uh, in Isaiah 53. We considered him a curse, afflicted by God. Because that was their culture. I mean, if you didn't have money, which he didn't, you didn't have a place to live, which he didn't, and you died young through some horrible death, which he did, then they considered him cursed by God. He'd certainly go to hell. Of course, he's the owner of heaven and hell. They were completely wrong. There may not, again, I'm going to say it, there may not be any relationship between what you're experiencing today and how God feels about you. You may be hugely blessed and God have a totally different opinion about you. You may be hugely cursed, at least seemingly in the eyes of the culture and the world we live in, and God have a totally different opinion about you. Don't necessarily tie the two together. This is one of those stories that certainly points that out. So, so again, the, the culture was a, um, for, for lack of a better way to put it, a prosperity gospel culture. If you're healthy, if you're wealthy... If you're prosperous, then God approves of you because obviously, even though we don't know your personal life, you must be obeying God in every way because he only blesses those who obey him and he only curses those who disobey him. That's the way they thought. That is a devilish, hellish culture. I mean, uh, belief system, it is not in the scriptures. Do not believe it. The poor and sick are cursed by God and certainly will not be in heaven. This is the way they thought. Since God has already marked them for hell while on earth, the rich and well-healed are blessed by God and certainly will be in heaven since God has already marked them for heaven while on earth. That's the way they thought, 100%. Had no concept whatsoever that a rich person could go to hell or a poor person could go to heaven. Just didn't work in their minds. It's the way it was. This parable is aimed directly at those who are mostly respected in the culture. How many would love to be your child to grow up to be a Pharisee. If my son could just be a Pharisee. See, you don't live in the first century, because I promise you, you would if you lived there. They were the esteemed. They were the, they were the upper, upper, they were the best. They were going to have, first of all, a bunch of money, but also a bunch of prestige, and they were going to be the most religious people. And if, if God so wills by his grace, he will allow my son to become one of them. They love them. You don't, what do you think of a Pharisee? Ah, you know, they killed Jesus. They were awful religious people. They were anti-God, even though saying they love God at the same time, holding a Bible in their hands, they're crucifying God himself. You can't get more off than that, right? They, again, it, they, we, what we think about them is not at all what they thought about them. Not at all. 
They had no concept that a rich person was going to anywhere but heaven. Again, you have to understand this, or you won't understand how powerful this parable was for them. Notice Jesus' commentary on the rich, which is yeah, pretty much everybody in this room. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You think it's hard to put a thread through it? Yeah. Then for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God, for those who heard it, they said, who then can be saved? If the ones, the only ones we thought were an absolute admin, absolute shoe-in, then what about the rest of us knuckleheads? Jesus is calling to question, what, what, again, what gets you there? They thought being rich got you there. They thought being well-heeled got you there. They thought being religious got you there. They were wrong. The Pharisees and those who followed their doctrines were this rich man. And so the story is an extreme contrast. You have a poor man who becomes rich forever, and you have a rich man who becomes four forever. And the key word is forever. To understand where you're headed is forever. This is not. Nothing you have here, nothing you are here, nothing you experience here will last forever. It is constantly changing. At the very least, you're headed to a big change called your death. That's going to be a massive change. But you're headed into a, another life where none of those things will be true. Whatever you are, wherever you are, will be fixed forever. Forever. Critical, critical that we understand that. This rich man became poor forever, and the poor man became rich forever. The poor man suffers in this life and is blessed in the next one, and then the rich man blessed in this life, but suffers in the next one. It starts with the poor man who's on the outside, right? And it ends with a rich man who's on the outside. Starts with the poor man who's in immense need and the rich man who has no needs, and it ends the opposite way. Huge contrast. Starts with a poor man who desires everything but has nothing, and a rich man who desires nothing because he has everything. And it ends the total opposite, as anybody in that culture would have thought. Starts with a poor man who's in a humiliated state and a rich man who's in an exalted state, and they switch roles forever. Starts with a poor man who seeks help and receives none, and it ends with a rich man seeking help and receiving none forever. Critical, critical story. Powerful, powerful. Would have hit them over the head so hard they would have not at all liked what they heard. And I'm not asking you to like it. I don't find anywhere in the Bible we have to like what God has to say. You do have to do it. Kicking and screaming. Crying all the way as you obey what he says. And you will find out that eternity is going to be a great place for you. So the story breaks into three parts. The life, death, and the life after death. We begin with the life in verse 19. Here's this guy. Talk about the guy that's got the life. He's got it. There was a certain rich man who habitually dressed in purple linen and gaily lived in splendor every day. We've talked about it. If you've been a part of this church, this is your first Sunday here. I'm about to tell you some important stuff. They didn't have Walmart back then. Who would want to live in a place like that, right? No Walmart. One of the ideas when Val and I were first married, we were talking about where I was going to be a pastor. We could live anywhere where there's a Walmart. <laughs> They've got a Walmart. We know Jesus is calling us there. He's not calling us anywhere where there's no, no Walmart. Well, there was no Walmarts back then. There was none, and one of the great things about having Walmart is if you're missing anything, you just go get it. 
may not be the best, but if you need a shirt, they've got shirts. If you need pants, they've got pants. If you need shorts, they've got shorts. If you need socks, they've got shoes. They've got stuff that you need. They've got fishing poles. They've got food. They've got everything. They didn't have any stuff like that. They didn't have clothing, one of the, one of the key institutes here. We, we think of clothing. How many sets of clothes do you own? Don't answer. Especially after Black Friday, right? That, you know, multiply times whatever, whatever exponent. Uh, uh, be, because in our culture, clothing is one of the cheaper things. Because we have so much of it. It's just everywhere. It, pretty much in every culture. Clothing is real easy to come by. Used clothing is everywhere. In this culture, in a middle class life, you would own maybe five sets of clothes, maybe four, your entire life. Talk about hand-me-downs. Woo! Four or five sets of clothes your entire life. That, that's all you got because everything had to be handmade. If you wanted something made out of wool, you had to raise a sheep and you had to keep it long enough to shear it. And you had to have somebody that was skilled enough to make it. That took time, lots of time, years in some cases. If you could get your hands on Egyptian cotton, which was not far away, but it was very, very hard, especially if you were, not, if you were poor, could get your hands on. And you got to make some things. Why, why here's, it, 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 just made it, it was just so difficult to come up with clothing. Let me ask you a question. So Jesus dies on the cross, pays for your sins, right? They strip him completely naked because it tells us that they were rolling dice for his clothes. So why would they do that? I have Roman soldiers who are on a salary. They've made a pretty good salary, in fact, especially execution soldiers like these guys. Very decent salary, very upper middle class. Why would they care anything about a poor guy's clothes? Bloody clothes. Unless clothing, no matter what grade you found, it was extremely valuable. Why would it matter to them? Because, guys, that was better than cash. It was a commodity that you had a hard time getting your hands on. So back to our story, a guy who would have a change of clothes with purple and all kinds of luxury living, he was way, way, way up there, talking about nothing but royalty and almost nobody else. The extreme, though, is, of course, in verse 20. You have another guy there who's extremely poor. Uh, the word for poor there in the Greek literally means he has nothing, like zero, no food. No extra change. Whatever he's got on him is all that he has. He has zip. He's not only in extreme poverty, he's also in extreme illness. The word for laid there in the gate literally means to be kicked out. In this culture, they would go as a good deed. They, guys and gals would go around with a wagon and load up the poor and the disabled into a wagon. They would take them to certain places where it was better to beg. You could make more money in different spots. Like, for instance, the gate of a rich person like where Lazarus. And then it, the word that it uses here is that basically he doesn't slow down. He just kind of, poop. This is your stop, buddy. Whoop, there he goes. What kind of life is that? And it says that as he lays there and waits to be picked up later, the, the dogs lick his sores. So he's not just in extreme poverty. He's in extreme illness. His circumstances are horrible. He's also in extreme hunger. Verse, 30, verse 21 says, there, do, do any of your translations say anything other than crumbs? My translation says that he was wanting to eat the crumbs, but it puts it in italics. What does it do in yours? Does it have something else? It's in italics there because it's not in the Greek. It's the New American Standard does that for us. And probably New King James does that for you. Leaves it out there because it want, it, again, the, the, not that the translator is trying to add anything to the scriptures. They're just trying to add something there so you understand kind of what's happening here. But they didn't have crumbs the way you have crumbs in our, in our culture. We think of crumbs, we think about small little things. This is not small. In, in, in a wealthy household, 
they didn't use, for instance, there was no such thing as paper. There was no such thing as, as uh, towels that you washed your hands with. They didn't have cloth napkins at the table because, again, cloth was extremely expensive. You used it for clothing. So you certainly wouldn't be wiping your hands on stuff like that. What they used to wipe their hands with was week-old bread. The bread was, you think of bread, don't think of Wonder Bread out of, out of Walmart. Uh, think of tortillas. That was their bread in the Middle East. We went to the Middle East just recently, ate a lot of that kind of bread. These big tortillas, big flat things, and so you would cook them a bunch of them. If you're in a wealthy household, you would cook way more possibly than you would ever need, and then you would have it left over. And you may eat it that day or may eat it the next day, but eventually, because of no refrigeration and other ways to keep things fresh, that went stale. So what you did with that bread is you use it at a meal to wipe your hands and your face with. Throw it under the table. Just a rag. That's all it was. So he's longing to eat that. So it's not just a crumb. It's not just a, oh, well, the dog gets a little under the table, you know, from your plate. No, it's the nasty stuff. It's the leftover stuff. It's the moldy stuff. It's You want to have eat something that somebody's been wiping their hands on? Stuff? Well, he longed to eat that. His condition was that dire. And they both died in verse 22, and Jesus stopped right there. Again, the assumption of the culture is that one is headed to heaven, definitely the rich guy. And one is headed to hell, definitely the poor guy, because their understanding of theology was that messed up. Again, does God, does God have to bow to your understanding or our collective understanding of what heaven's going to be like? No. In fact, he's not going to. It's not our heaven. It's not our eternity. So, so whether we agree with heaven or not, whether we agree with how things work out there or not, it doesn't change anything. That's why Jesus came, because listen, we got it wrong. We don't have it right. He's not just redirecting some misguidedness here. He's totally throwing the whole thing out, because in most cases, that's what's need to happen with us. Because sin and uh, deception is a, a matter, of course, of life for us. So, so they would assume these people went to the opposite places of where they did. And then after they die, where Jesus says they go is the last thing that they would have thought. The rich man, it says there in verse 23, went to, went to Hades. And that, very specifically, if you want to get down to brass tacks about theology, that isn't hell. It is a holding place for the wicked dead before they go into hell. But notice his condition is no better. So hell's a place of suffering. Hell's a place of torment. Hell's a place of fire. And what is Hades? Same thing. So if hell is the internal destiny of the wicked dead and they're held over in a place called Hades, it's only out of the frying pan, right, and into the fire. That's what it is. So, so don't, I understand the theology very well, but I want you to understand his condition, whether it's heaven, whether it's hell or Hades, is, there is no difference. It is going to last forever. But, but hear me carefully on this, and this is the main point of the, of the story. The same torment awaits those who die outside of Christ and who reject faith in God. That's all Jesus is trying to say. This, this guy, he thought he had it right, and was, his entire culture said he was good to go, was completely wrong, as they were also completely wrong. But the problem about it was he has no options to ever change that because his forever destiny is set. This is not, you can be wrong about a lot of stuff, but eternity is not something you can be wrong about. And, and don't think you're going to get the information from a person like you or a person like me. It's not where the right, correct information. Have, have you been to eternity? There are a few people who will say that, and I'm telling you, they're lying to you. They're lying because the Scripture says no one has seen God except for the Son and, the, and to whom the Son reveals. 
So when the Son tells you this is the way the Father is and this is the way heaven's going to be, boy, do we need to listen. Boy, oh boy. The same torment awaits those who die outside of Christ. Again, and to reject faith in God. It says there, he lifted up his eyes. It was a statement of self-realization. We have a similar statement here in Luke chapter 15 where the son, right, the prodigal son, and that's the way to do it, by the way. Not, not what he did, but we all of us got a prodigal in our heart, right? All of us have committed sins against God and ran away from him. And, and, and the only thing worse than that is never to, as it says there, emphasis mine, obviously, come to yourself. Never sober up, never wake up, never realize Continue to reject the message that God brings to you about what the truth is and continue to stick with the things that you believe because it makes you feel good for, for only time, but definitely not for eternity. This young man came to himself. Great. Because in this life, you've got a chance to fix it. In this life, you've got a chance to repentance and return to God and place your faith in Christ. But in the next life, you will not, even though you'll know who Jesus is, You'll know that he's the Savior. You'll know that faith in God is the only way to get to heaven. You'll know that that's the only way it works. You will never have an opportunity to exercise that faith, ever. Your condition will not change. Again, a very sobering story. He came to himself, and how many fathers, uh, my father's hired servants, he realized where he's fallen from, and he's gotten himself an opportunity to repent. This is not what they thought would happen. It's not what they were told was happened, but it is, most definitely was. And the most important thing there. I think of, of all the things that, need, that needs to be said, is that there was complete consciousness on both cases. So eternity isn't a place of oblivion, isn't a place where we melt into the, the I don't know, collective, whatever weirdness is taught out there, collective consciousness of the unknown spirit world. No, eternity is a place where you're going to know everything and realize that you should have realized here. You're going to hear every word and be reminded of everything that is true. This guy turns into an evangelist. He wouldn't even feed the guy crumbs from his table. And now he's wanting the, Abraham to send somebody back from the dead, send Lazarus back to my five brothers. Send him back because I don't want them to come here. So hell isn't a place where they're partying. Hell is a, self, a complete place of self, complete self-realization and complete God-realization and complete realization of how much forever, how long, forever is, that you've missed it. So it's complete reality for both, both he and Lazarus. The saved were immediately in consciousness, conscious bliss, mark it carefully, and fellowship, and the unsaved were immediately in conscious torment. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you hold nothing back from us, and we really need to be clobbered over the head sometimes. I know I do. We really need to hear it straightforward. We don't need words to be immense. Because even when that happens, sometimes, a lot of times, we still can't hear you. God, I know that it's the work of your Spirit in our lives, in our hearts, that brings us to repentance. And we really need that. I need that. We all need that. We need to repent of uh, the deceptions that we take in and drink in, the words we listen to, uh, the lies that we believe. And we need to turn back to you, Lord, for those here who haven't ever come to the place where they've repented before you, God, and said that they're wrong about eternity, wrong about this life, and turn in faith to your Son. God, I pray today that you would work that, that work of faith in their hearts and lives. Thank you so much, God, for this word. Thank you for the, the clearness of it, the sobriety of it, God. We so need that. We so need that. Thank you. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.